to Excellent Questions. I'm your host, Yahya Khan. Today, my guest is Riley Oikel. He's an entrepreneur and a real estate coach. We talked about his career from when he started his first money-making business as a student and how he got into real estate. There's a lot more to real estate than just buying and holding. And we get into some of that in this episode. So let's get started. You have this really interesting, you know, entrepreneurial background. And this started back when you were in school. And I'm curious, you know, at what point did you decide that, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to start a business? Looking back, I, I think if I had to like put my finger on it, it would be extremely difficult at like one given like point. I think it's just been slowly a piece of me since like a very young age. I remember when I was like six years old, I used to like, there was this UPEC, it's, it was called Visser's UPEC. And, uh, and, and basically it was like, you could go in and you, you pay like this very small amount of money to go and actually pick strawberries <laughs> from this, from this field. And you'd put them into pints and then, you know, you, you'd be able to like get a pint for maybe a dollar all filled up for strawberries, but you'd buy it at the store for $4. So I would sell them on the side of the street for like two or $3 and they're like freshly picked organic. Like, you know, this was me at like, you know, at a very young age selling strawberries um, so, so I, I don't know if I didn't look at that as being an entrepreneur or a business owner. I just looked at it as like, this is how you make money. Cause like no one's going to hire you at six. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's just kind of how it's maybe evolved. And then I saw my dad as well at, uh, you know, as I grew up, he ran a business out of our home and, you know, he'd be making phone calls and I just thought that was normal, you know, making cold calls and, and chatting with people and clients and setting up appointments. And, and then I, I did work like at Sobeys and I worked at like a tire factory and um, those were kind of the other, you know, jobs that I was in for a very short period of time and really, you know, didn't enjoy it a whole ton, to be honest. Um, and, and I always wanted to kind of be worth, I wanted to be paid what it was worth, I think. And, and I learned about the results economy when I was around you know, 17, 18 and, and how, you know, a lot of the most successful people in the world get paid based on the results not based on like an hourly rate. And, and I really wanted to go to that trap of like being paid a salary or an hour hourly rate and, and transition into like being paid what it was worth, right? So like the market will determine how much I'm worth based on my results. So, you know, I think, yeah, around 17, 18 is where I really like started to pivot and put my entire focus on being a business owner. And then by 19, I, I ran like a six figure business and it went quite well. And um, but yeah, I, I think to put my finger on one exact time in my life where like I decided to be an entrepreneur, I just couldn't do it because it's always just been a piece of me. That's fascinating. So at 17, 18, you were already thinking about, <coughs> you know, uh, how it doesn't really scale to sell your time for money and, uh, you know, being paid hourly versus being paid for your results. That's something that you know, most people don't learn until much later in life. You know, I didn't even cross my mind until I was in my probably mid twenties. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think it's, it, I don't know what it is. I, I, you know, I want to, I want to really boil it back to like my dad, like my dad being an entrepreneur has definitely helped and a business owner. And, and I think that's, that's definitely been a gateway into like this world for me. And I had some really early on mentors for sure. And, um, they've helped kind of, uh, 
guide me along the path as well. So I, you know, it's never been like my intelligence by any means. It's never been me, but it's certainly been the people around me that have, uh, that have just kind of led me in the right direction. And, and, And the cool thing now is like the internet just gives you so much power, like, you know, through podcasts like this or YouTube videos to just learn, to, to learn all these hacks to life. And you're seeing people now that are even earlier than 17, 18, like learning about financial independence, retire early, the fire movement and uh, financial freedom. And, you know, uh, I'd imagine that that's going to be maybe the, the thing in the next generation as well. Like you're in elementary school and what do you want to be when you're older? Oh, I want to be financially free and retire early. <laughs> like maybe that'll be a conversation that eight year olds are having. I have no idea. But uh, the internet's certainly opening up uh, this movement quite a bit. Yeah, I've definitely heard about that that subculture, and um, it's uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. I uh, so you eventually you were eighteen, nineteen. You you wanted to start a business. Eventually, you started a business when you were nineteen. Um, did you go to university? I, I see that you went to um, Western. Was it? I did. I went to Western University in London, um, London, Ontario, not uh, not the other London, but uh, yeah, I went there and yeah, did an undergrad in kinesiology. So I took kinesiology, which is like uh, in health sciences. Mm. I learned a lot about the body. I, I know all of the bones in the body, all the muscles in the body, which doesn't help me a whole lot right now, unless I kind of have an ache or pain and I'm like, what's going on there? But um, it certainly hasn't really helped me a whole ton in my career. But, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I have no regrets. I'm really glad I did it. Um, it was a very expensive piece of paper, to say the least. But I, uh, I did my undergrad, yes. Mm. And while you were studying, you, you decided to start a business. Uh, what was the impetus for that particular business, and what was the business about? Yeah, the, the driver at the beginning was just trying to pay for groceries and pay for pay for my my gas. And um, being a student, I was like first year in university, and I realized like, hey, I'm gonna have like so much debt. I'm gonna be like eighty grand in debt after all this is done and said if I don't make like some good money. And I'm gonna be paying this debt off because there's a lot of interest on it until I'm like thirty five or forty. I better like do something different uh, to make more than seventeen bucks an hour at this tire factory. So, so that was the driver was strictly financial uh, at the beginning. And I was like, what, what resources do I have? Like what skill set do I have? And uh, it became obvious that maybe like a whole maintenance company would make a lot of sense. And there was this group early on um, that was like basically teaching people at university how to run like a whole maintenance company, um, you know, early on, like at 18, 19, 20. And so I jumped on that kind of mentorship opportunity. And that's where I met my first mentor and coach that I worked with for about two years and helped, uh, you know, helped me along my path. But, but ultimately, yeah, they, they kind of taught me these systems and processes that they already had. And, uh, and I just learned those and, um, y- you know, ultimately ran my, my business within you know, three years, we kind of scaled up. I hired around 12 students to work for me and, um, paid off all the debt I was going to have in two summers. Um, so it kind of came out of, came out of school without any debt. So that was my big victory. Wow. Home maintenance. And what does that entail exactly? I don't think I've ever. Uh... Yeah, yeah, we did like exterior home maintenance. So anything outside that we could kind of do, um, it'd be like pressure washing. So we pressure wash decks or fences. Um, you know, we would do uh, window cleaning. So in, in uh, inside and outside window cleaning, gutter guard installation, e- eavesdrop cleaning. 
kind of just whatever we could really do um, quickly. And I could train students to do within two days. We would, uh, we would do for homeowners. Yeah. Awesome. And you mentioned that uh, there was this uh, mentorship program or, or person that, um, that was offering this, like teaching this to people uh, at your university or was it in your neighborhood? Yeah, so it wasn't actually affiliated with the university. So it's called Student Works Management Program. Mm. Just a, a little shout out for them for uh, for helping me along uh, along the way. But yeah, so they're all across Canada, and uh, and and typically they work with university students or college students who are looking to run their first uh, business, and and it's either a, like a home maintenance company, um, like a window cleaning company, or or it could be like a, a painting company as well. Mm. So you had some pretty good success with that. And, um, it, you know, that's not really a given, you know, it, it sounds very linear and, and almost, you know, people take it for granted that you, you had this mentorship, you started a company, it was wildly successful, paid off your student loans very quickly. But, uh, what do you think contributed to that being a success, you know, beyond the, uh, just getting instructions from, from this, uh, program? Yeah, it, I think if we really boiled it down and like zeroed in on one specific like habit that I had, it was just finishing what I started and, and my work ethic as well, being a driving factor to finish what I started. I ran track and field uh, decently competitively, like represented Nova Scotia a few times, came to university on a scholarship. Um, and, and yeah, I, I believe that my kind of work ethic that I had developed in track and field really just transitioned right into that business that I'd ran. And, you know, I remember these days that, and, and we were knocked on houses to like get leads and like get, get clients for the business. I didn't have money to pay for billboards or like TV ads or any or Facebook ads. I don't have that money. So you have to knock on houses for free. Um, and, and yeah, like I remember even like, it was like spring break or something like second year university, all my friends are taken off to Cancun and, you know, going down, going down south to enjoy the next week or so. And, and I'm like, you know, bundling up, it's like the middle of winter there in London and we're in the winter belt too, to make it even worse. So it's like five feet of snow. It was like this winter blizzard mm. in like 2015 or something that week, negative 40. And I'm bundled up going, stomping through four or five feet of snow, knocking on houses here is like a 19 year old asking homeowners, in the middle of this winter storm, can I clean your windows in six months? <laughs> like, you know, it, it was like, that's the, the finishing what, what I started piece. It was going above and beyond. And, you know, I could have easily just taken that week off, but that's kind of an exaggerated example in terms of just how dedicated I was to this thing, or I wouldn't even like stop for that week. And my hands are freezing cold and I could barely even talk to homeowners because my mouth is like frozen shut. Um, but, but you do it anyway, right? You just, you keep going. Cause I made the commitment to, to knock on houses on Monday to Friday, five to nine. And, and, you know, I, I was not going to drop that commitment. Mm. Uh, is that company still running? Or are you still involved with the home maintenance? I'm not, no, I was there, there for, for five years. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, ran my business there, operated for a few years. And then I started actually mentoring and coaching other students as well that were there. So I did that for, for another two to three years. And, um, yeah, so, so I, I've exited out of that, that kind of organization and, uh, and I kind of started up my own investing business for real estate 
um, properties, but, but yeah, so that, that still happens over today. Yeah. It's a great company. Mm. Excellent. Um, was there something, uh, some other company that you were involved in before the real estate investing, um, No, no, that, that was it. So I, I ran that company, uh, you know, so I, I started my home maintenance company there and it was like a subsidiary of, of the company. Mm-hmm. And then I also did a, a consulting business. So I called it RO um, Business Consulting mm-hmm. where I helped other university students start and, and run their first home maintenance company. Wow. So you paid it forward. Yes. Yeah, so that's really where I started on the coaching path. I'd say like it, learning about how to, how to be a mentor slash coach and um, what was involved there, how to ask really good questions to have them kind of discover the answer for themselves. And um, I'm doing that at a capacity today, even with my my uh, real estate investing company, like we still offer some coaching and mentorship on the side and, alongside of obviously buying property. Mm. What uh, attracted you to real estate at the, at the point where you started? It, it, yeah, I don't think it was like forced. It wasn't like I just woke up one morning. And I'm like, I'm going to buy investment properties. Um, and there was no one like that just told me specifically, like, you should go do this. Um, there was no one like that in my life. And, and sometimes I feel like that's what people believe is like, you know, they're just going to, they're going to wake up one morning and just think, Eureka, like, this is what I do. This is how I become rich and wealthy. Uh, it wasn't like that at all. Like for me, I wanted to start after this whole maintenance company. I wanted to transition into running a renewable energy company. And I had learned about sustainability and what that meant for the world. And I wanted to be a part of that next step forward. Um, and, and uh, you know, the company that I thought would help people with that would be uh, a renewable energy company, specifically geothermal. So we were going to like have this drill and drill down these, you know, long holes into the earth and do, you know, geothermal warming for houses. So I learned about that and, and I realized quickly on that this drill was like the number one expense for the, uh, for the company and it was going to be like 1.2 or 1.5 million bucks for this drill i didn't have that as you know when i was like 21 or 22 and uh, <laughs> so naturally what does one do while well, you walk into the back and you're like hey you know can i get a loan is there a way that i can get a loan here for this drill and they said well what assets do you have to get the drill and at the time i had my my uh, my uh, Equinox, my, my uh, Chevrolet Equinox. And I think it was worth like 2,500 bucks. It was like, it was barely worth anything. And I, I said, well, I have this Jeep. Does that work for an asset? And they said, not a, not a chance, sir. We're not giving you a loan here today. So, so I kind of went away discouraged, but it also lit a fire under my butt to like go and learn about what assets were. And I'm like, well, what are assets? Stocks aren't really assets. Like the bank won't loan on stocks. They're going to loan on like tangible assets, things that you can touch, you can see that have intrinsic value in and of themselves. And that's what really drew me towards rental properties. Never thought of it. I, I didn't even think in the back of my head I'd ever become a landlord or own rental properties. Though at the same time, I realized how crucial it was to get like loans in the future. So that's where I, where I started um, learning more about rental properties. And then I'm kind of mentored under someone as well in London, Ontario, where I lived. that owned a, a pretty significant portfolio and learn the kind of the tricks of the trade and how it all works and uh, the inner workings for sure, like the systems of the entire business. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I got started there. Awesome. So you, you got started, you had a mentor, assuming you also had some money saved up from your, from your uh, business, I'm assuming. Um, How did you find your first property? 
How did I find the first one? It was actually a flip project that I was doing with my mentor at the time. And the numbers looked pretty good. And having been a part of that renovation and like scrubbing nicotine off the walls yeah. from like them smoking in it for like 60 years, um, you know, I, I really felt like, uh, you know, and, and it looked awesome after it, like I, it had a piece of my heart, to be honest, that transformation was my very first renovation that I had done. And like, it just was phenomenal. Like that before and after photo, um, what we did to the property. So I, I wanted to buy that one. So I actually bought it from my mentor for a pretty reasonable rate. And, uh, and that was my very first property. It's a single family property in Sarnia. Wow. So you bought the property. Were you intending to live in it or rent it out to people? Rent it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, it was strictly an investment property. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I actually, you know, had, had like 10, 12 tenants before I actually like started like living in a home, um, where I wasn't paying rent. Right. So, um, pretty funny how that worked, but you know, Sometimes you just don't need to buy a, a single family home and live in it. Like it becomes a liability more than anything, right? If you're looking at like the, the liability of maybe putting a thousand dollars into someone else's pocket every month, that, you know, I understand that that could be also a liability. That's, that's a piece of your expense spreadsheet, but um, that's definitely much less than it would be to actually own that property and pay for the utilities, pay for your rent, pay for um, property tax, property insurance. So, I'm actually an advocate of like either host hacking for sure or doing, um, or, or just continuing to rent, even if you have a bunch of tenants. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're single, you don't have kids, um, you no know, dependence. Yeah, that's a factor. yeah you, you don't need all that space just yet. And, um, it's just a better deal to live in an apartment or a smaller space and, and rent out your property. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it's like one of those things where you just don't need, you don't need that extra, that extra expense if you don't need to. And, and for me, I, I still want to travel, you know, I'm, I'm 25 right now, I still want to see the world and, and explore and, uh, and have a single family home, that's burning a hole in my pocket as I'm trying to travel isn't isn't ideal. And at the same time, sure, like one could Airbnb it, you could still manage the, a short term rental there a long term tenant as you're as you're gone. Um, uh, but I, I don't know if I'd want someone like living in my space. I'm not sure if I would. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not for everybody. So you got into the real estate investment, uh, space and, uh, you know, you, you bought your first rental property, you renovated it. Um, uh, and, uh, so this became your new business, your new kind of, uh, venture, uh, Similar to what you had done previously, eventually you trans you started to coach and mentor people doing what you were doing. Um, how did that come about? How did it come about? I yeah, did did pretty well um, within a few years, short years in in investments. Got up to like four million within a year uh, worth of assets, and and so through through that, I was like, okay, wow, like you know, this is really powerful. I'm um, really, really doing well here, um, it, you know, making good money. Like, well, it, you know, I didn't really need to continue on. Like I could continue growing more cash flow, more wealth, but it just wasn't like ex uh, exciting me as much as it was the, the night before. Like it was like one of those things where every property I buy, it became less and less like uh, more of my driving factor. I'm like, oh, do I need another one? Do I need another one? Is this really what it, what it's all about? 
And, and so it just wasn't checking all the boxes that I kind of had in terms of my fulfillment. And then I remembered like years back when I was coaching these students, you know, a few years ago, I, I'd been coaching these students in, in this maintenance company. And that was like the most fulfilling thing. And I'm like almost on an anti-climax now with buying these properties. It's like, it's pretty great, of course, to, to buy a bunch of properties. And, you know, that, that in and of itself, um, it, it made me happy a bit, but, but it just wasn't making me fulfilled and I wasn't that passionate about it. I like to joke that no one kind of jumps out of bed in the morning, excited to buy bricks and mortar and drywall. That's not like, that, that's not the, the pinnacle in life, right? So there's something else there. And, and for me, it was being able to pass on this knowledge to someone else, just like my coaches and mentors have done to me. And so, you know, I just kind of made the commitment that I'm going to go and I'm going to learn something. I'm going to learn a business or learn how to do something and then try to give back as well, just like these other people had done for me. They taught me, they coached me. Um, so you go learn something and then you kind of give back a bit and it can also work together. Like you can be learning something and doing it. Um, and also giving back in small portions. It doesn't have to be a full-time consulting company or coaching business. It can also be like maybe you have one or two students that work under you that, that you help coach. So, so for me at the beginning, it was just like one or two students that I was helping. And then it ramped up to like 20 to 50, 60. And, uh, and, and now we're helping around 50 students a year, how to buy their first income property. And I, I get to live vicariously through them too. That's the most exciting part for me because they're they're going from zero to one. And that first property is like 10 times more challenging than that second property. And, and you know, for them, it's like this feeling of like confidence and, you know, and, and they're getting outside of their comfort zone. And so it's, it's pretty great to just see who they become on the other side of that investment when they buy that first one because they're buying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of assets uh, in that one property. And, um, and I get to live vicariously through there and see that ecstasy feeling of like having them do something for the first time. And that's why people travel. And that's why I like to travel too, is like, you're, you get to explore the world, but it's that feeling of like going down that street or seeing that, um, land landmark for the first time. Like that's, that's the exciting thing in life. And to be able to see someone buy that first property for me is like what checks all my boxes. And that's why I've started coaching on the side of also my investment company. Well, it, it sounds like you've really figured out what, what makes you tick and what drives you because you keep coming back to this coaching, mentoring, um, kind of service, you know, back, back in your university days and also, uh, you know, continuously with this new, uh, business that you're, uh, running. Um, when you say students, are these, uh, you know, are these actual students like college university students, or are they just kind of like, you're just referring to them as your students? I'm just referring to them as like students. They also be called clients, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I don't actually, I look at them as more students than clients. I don't know. That's just the term I always use, but, but some of them are like 30, 40, 50, like they're genuinely, like they're not at university or college. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter what their age is. Yeah. But they're, they're my, my, my coaching clients, let's say. So you help these people get their first rental property or their first investment property. Is it usually a rental property or is it, you know, do they do flips or uh, some other way to use the, use the home as an investment? Yeah, we, we definitely realized when, when, when I started helping people here to buy a property that there, there'd be some people that would come in and they'd say, Hey, I want to do a flip or I want to do a rent to own or I want to wholesale properties. 
or want to you know, buy buy land and do a development project. And there was a whole variety of different options on the table that they could use as investment strategies when we're talking about real estate. And, and you know, I, I believe if you're the master of all, you're the master of none. And so for me to get really good at helping people and ensure that I could get them the results that I wanted to get them, I kind of had to cut the fat and put like these blinders on, like, uh, you know, to get super focused on exactly what I do in my business and teach them that exact same strategy. So in my business, we do uh, burring. It's like called the burr strategy. It's buy, uh, renovate, uh, rent, refinance, and repeat. And, and then as well, if we need some money or mortgages for a great opportunity, like a property that we want to buy, we also do joint venture partnerships where we'll, uh, we'll find someone that has money in the mortgage. We'll do all of the heavy lifting. They just put in the money in the mortgage and they're completely passive. They have a great ROI. And so those are the only two strategies that we use. We don't teach anything else. And then as well, we actually made the decision that you know, we don't want to help anyone buy commercial properties like 10, 15, 20 unit buildings. Commercial properties are usually anything five units or more, like an apartment building or a multi-use property. We're just staying away from everything commercial and we're focusing on only residential. And then I also believe that even single families tend to be like a bad investment unless you're doing an Airbnb or, or student rentals neither of which I wanted to coach as well for strategies in the program. So we just completely cut out single family properties as well. So now we help people buy a two to four unit building. So a duplex, triplex, or fourplex um, anywhere in Canada. So all the strategies that we teach work across Canada using the Burr strategy and joint mentoring. And uh, what's the reason why those are better? Is it just because you can divide it up and uh, make more, uh, you know, charge more for rent because there's separate units, that sort of thing? Um, sorry, like why the strategy of like Burr or the joint venturing is better or why a two to four unit building? Yeah. Why, do, why are the two to four unit buildings better than single family homes? Yeah, that's a great question. This is actually a pretty common one that comes up on a lot of the calls that I do with people that inquire about coaching because, you know, they come in and they're like, Hey, I want to get the cheapest property possible. Um, and typically single families are cheaper, they say. And the truth is um, sometimes, but not all the time. Mm. And if we're looking at like the price per unit, so a per, per unit would be like in a duplex, there's two units, there's self-contained units. In a triplex, there's three units, mm. you know, it's, there's three separate units, they're all self-contained. In a single family home, there's technically one unit, you know, you have maybe one, two, three, four, five bedroom for a single family. So when we're looking at like this one piece of the analysis of like price per unit, um, a single family home is like the most expensive unit you're ever going to pay for. And, and the reason why is you're not just competing now against investors. The buyer's pool is way larger than this. Now you're also competing against investors that want to do flips, student rentals, Airbnbs, along with families. So actual like families that want to buy a home and live in it. Cause they, you know, if when I own, uh, you know, or when I have a family, you know, I have, I have a dog, I have kids, whatever. I don't want to go and buy an apartment building and move into a unit. So I'm not going to be in that buyer's pool as a, as a, as a, as a father, right? Um, I'm going to be in the buyer's pool of like, I want my own single family home for me and my family to live in. So naturally um, there's going to be a lot more people gravitated towards that buyer's pool. So therefore it's more inflated. So you're going to buy a single family for maybe like four five, 600,000 in anywhere here in Ontario, even way more than that, of course, if you're in the GTA, but um, you know, four or five, 600,000 for a single family home, if you're lucky. Whereas you could buy, like I bought a duplex in China for 184,000. 
Now it's two units. Or, or you can buy, you know, usually things are around 100 to maybe even 200,000 per unit um, when you're looking at like a duplex, triplex, fourplex. Right? So the price per unit of those is, is much more optimal. You're kind of buying in bulk. You can look at it that way versus a single family where it's just inflated for what it is. Mm. Makes sense. So the GTA is a pretty, pretty hot market. Um, I think it has become the hottest or one of the hottest in the world this year, uh, in terms of the, you know, the acceleration of prices. Um, what do you, what is your take on investing inside or outside of the GTA? Investing inside of the GTA is something I've stayed away from. Uh, so like the greater Toronto, uh, greater Toronto area, mm-hmm. um, it, it is competitive. Like when you're, when you're really buying a property in the GTA right now and in kind of any, you know, any, anywhere across North America, even any kind of urban center where like the density, the population density is very, uh, very high. And, um, and then the, the, the wage of living is high as well. Or, you know, so, so like you're going to be in areas like Toronto or the greater Toronto area where you're going to be overpaying for an asset and, and chances are you're not going to be able to have a cash flow. So you, you're probably not going to be cash flowing. You're going to be barely cash flowing. And then you're doing that because well, you're hoping that again, because you're in that urban center, the population could become even more dense. Things could even grow more and they naturally will because things will surround that urban center. And then naturally um, it will appreciate more than in a rural area. So you're really playing the appreciation game versus the cash flow game. So when I buy in, in more of a rural area, I'm looking at cash flow. You know, that, that duplex there I bought in, in Chatham, Ontario for 184000 will cash flow $1,000 a month. Well, that's pretty good for, you know, that that's that's like an 18% cash flow. Or um, what, is, what is that like? A, um, yeah, that, that'll, that'll be close to like a, a 10%, 15% cash and cash ROI. Mm. So, so within 10 years, I'll be able to get my entire initial investment back by just that cash flow alone. You can't do that in Toronto or the greater Toronto area. So the cash flow is extremely good, though the appreciation in somewhere like that, that rural area there, like Chatham, will probably never be able to keep up with a, with a big machine like Toronto, where the density will just get more and more, uh, will get become more and more high. It is like the sprawl happens around the greater Toronto area. Um, you know, it'll naturally just cause the prices to appreciate more and more year over year. So it, it's kind of a sharks game, to be honest. When you're in a, like an urban center like that, you're competing against big heavy hitters that have very deep pockets, and they're willing to kind of spin the wheel and take a chance on this property appreciating 20% a year. So if you own a million dollar property in Toronto and it went up 20% like this last year, you just made $200,000. You didn't lift a finger. That's pretty cool. Right, you can't do that in flipping or in wholesaling or or whatever, but um, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of have to think, well, that could also come down twenty percent or fifteen percent. So people don't think about depreciation either sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's my take on investing in Toronto. I've never done it, never never invested in the Greater Toronto area, and uh, and I think it's just plain and simply because I believe it, it's hyper competitive. It's very competitive naturally. And, um, and you're overpaying for what it is to just live in the city. Yeah. Would you say that's part of your specialty is, is focusing on, on the cash flow game rather than the appreciation game? 
when you're starting off, I believe it's the best way to start. I think there will be a time in my portfolio where like, sure, we have enough money that let's go buy a property in Toronto and, you know, spin the wheel to hope that we hit the big winnings with appreciation. When you're beginning though, I, I believe that that could be also um, kind of scary. Like you could easily depreciate that, that property in a year and you could lose that 100, that 200 grand as simply as you could gain it. So I, I really want to focus on areas where hey, like a $15 an hour um, earner can actually pay rent, you know, even if even if uh, the world comes down, you know, the economy crashes, like they can still afford my rent of $1,000 a month. Whereas in Toronto, when you're only marketing to people that can pay two or $3,000 a month, and and then no one can move, like during the pandemic, you know, more and more people are moving away, you can't afford two to $3,000 a month in rent then who's your buyer going to be? You're going to naturally have to decrease your, your rent prices. So I, I like to kind of be in that middle tier, like around a thousand, maybe $1,500 a month for, for a single bedroom uh, or, or unit. And, and, and yeah, so I, I believe it's more of a sustainable long-term play. Like I'm looking at the 10, 15 year play with these properties that are more rural. Mm. And, and at the same time, cash flow is important because certain banks like the credit union and whatnot will actually start to look at your portfolio at a certain point. And they're going to say, well, like your debt to service for your portfolio, like your cash flow is so immense that they're going to actually start loaning to you based on your portfolio's performance, not on your own personally, your, your own personal debt to service. So, you know, if, if you have 10, 15 properties and you have like 5 million bucks in, in you know, your portfolio, um, but they're all negatively cash flow and they're all kind of neutral, um, the banks will look at your track record and that debt to service and they're going to not ever give you a another mortgage based on that portfolio's performance. Whereas my properties at 10, 15 properties in a rural community that are all cash flowing a thousand dollars, you know, uh, $1,500, $2,000, they're going to say, well, like, you know, your portfolio is worth 4 million, but at, at the same time, you're cash flowing $7,000 a month. So uh, they're going to look at that debt to service and be able to give me additional mortgages based on that portfolio alone. Wow. Yeah, that's really, um, that's a really good justification for the strategy um, that you have. And it makes a lot of sense. And it seems to be more suitable for a lot of people who, you know, let's face it, most people can't take these huge risks with appreciation and they can't go cash flow negative on, uh, on a rental property. You know, um, they can't absorb that cost for future gains. Um, and it's interesting, you know, this is not obvious to a lot of people and, and it wasn't obvious to me couple of years ago, but, you know, as you get into these more developed areas where the housing is more expensive, um, the rents are not proportional to, they're not exactly proportional to um, the housing values. So in Toronto, you could have like, uh, you know, a condo that's probably worth like seven, eight hundred thousand dollars and maybe the rent is like two thousand bucks a month. Uh, but if you go somewhere uh, outside of the GTA, um, you know, a house or an apartment that's like half the value, it won't be half the rent. It, it'll probably be like somewhere like three quarter of the rent in terms of the, the rent market. So the rent markets don't exactly um, correlate with the, with the property values. Um so, and, and something that, um, that results in, you know, these very rich, um, investors in the GTA, they'll, they'll probably buy 
a property with more capital or they'll go cash flow negative. They could just absorb the costs because they're, they're playing the appreciation game, like you said. Um, whereas out, outside, when the property values are lower, you, you actually can play the cash flow game. You can go cash flow positive and charge you know, a, a rent that is lower than uh, rents that are, let's say, in the GTA, but not that much lower, um, low, low enough for it to be affordable, but, but not so low that you're cash flow negative. Yeah, like, and I think that's that's exactly where a lot of people should start. That's my recommendation, and what I what I really preach to, to my my coaching clients is start start you know focused on cash flow. Make sure that your portfolio is cash flowing and that you're building that reserve in your portfolio. And then, you know, once once you have enough there to support you and maybe your family through cash flow, then let's look at well, let's just buy properties maybe based on it's value and hoping that things do appreciate. Let's, let's buy a million dollar, $2 million property and hope that it appreciates. But at the beginning, <clears throat> you certainly do want to be focused on just the cash flow alone. And even in apartment buildings, when you're buying a 10, 15, 20 unit building, again, cash flow is going to become very apparent and the banks will be even looking at that. The commercial lenders will want to make sure that those assets are cash flow. Mm. What are the most common questions you get from uh, new clients that want, you know, the, the real estate coaching? Yeah. Most common questions, where do I start? <laughs> I think that's why I want to do what I'm doing here too. Like, you know, really, I think this all began when I had like friends and family that are kind of keeping tabs on what I'm doing and, and Hey, like, you're, how are you buying all these properties? What are you doing? I want to buy one. Can you help me? How do I start? You know, what advice do you have? And it's just like these loaded canned questions is what I call them. Because there's no way that I can answer them. It's like, hey, like teach me neuroscience or something. It's like, what? Like, what, what's the trick? It's like, there is like, just, you've got to learn a lot. Like, I'm not saying this is the same as neuroscience. I'm just saying like, there's, there's intense subjects out there that you can't just answer it in like five minutes. Like, you know, the coaching program we have is like five months. Um, so, it, you know, it's just like when I went to university and you're in a four month course or program you're putting in a few hundred hours to maybe that one course during those four months and there, there's a lot of content to learn so i believe this to be the same you know it's like you're you're going to do it like dedicate five months at least 10 hours a week if not even 20 to like going full immersion and listening to podcasts like this watching youtube videos in your spare time you know reading books but ultimately you need to make sure that you can kind of cut through all the noise and really get focused and the only way to kind of do that, I've found anyway, is through a mentor or coach. Um, and that's why, again, they kind of come in and they're like confused because they've been watching YouTube videos and reading or listening to podcasts and reading books. And, and they still don't know like where to go. They're like completely lost. They're like this big, I kind of envision like this big ship in the middle of the ocean is kind of what they seem to be without a rudder. And they're just bopping around saying, like, I want to go to the land, but I don't know where the land is. Like, how do I get there? And I don't have a rudder to direct my, you know, my path. Um, and they kind of need a coach or a mentor to guide them in that right direction because they know where the path is. And um, as long as they kind of have, have the engines in the ship to like motivate themselves and drive themselves forward, then then ultimately they just need that rudder in place to get them from A to B. But uh, that, that's certainly the, like the most common question is like, where do I start? How do I get there? Yeah. One question that pops up for me a lot, you know, uh, is how much capital do you need to get started? None. Uh, and that's the most, that's the easiest question actually to answer. You don't need any, 
Uh, I have students that are 18, 19, 20. They're still at university or college. They have a lot of student debt. There's no way they're getting a mortgage in the next three to five years, most likely. And, uh, and they certainly don't have the money to, to, to deploy. What we do, though, is we teach them how to become that real estate expert and like, uh, you know, market themselves as one um, in a way in, that uh, people are attracted to work with them and they understand who they are as a person and their values and w what they're able to do. And they can actually partner with people in their network that do have mortgages and they have the money, but they just don't have that expertise to actually go and learn how to find the property and analyze that property and close on it off market and renovate it and do the property management and do the bookkeeping, all the financial management. There's quite a bit that goes into it. It can be a full-time job after you get even four or five units going, like it can become more than a part-time job. Um, and so a lot of people just don't have that time. They're working a nine to five or a nine to nine at their, at their corporate job, making really great money on T4 income. The banks love them. They'll give them plenty of mortgages, but they just don't know how to use these mortgages and they don't have the time to use them. So naturally like that 18, 19, 20 year old can find these people and help them out. Mm. So that's what we do. Like they, they don't need the money. They just need to have that, that know-how. You mentioned uh, close off market. Is this uh, is this something that's that happens commonly that people buy and uh, close off market? As an investor, it is important to control the funnel. And I can't wait for a really good opportunity, especially right now in the market that we're in, uh, to come on the MLS or on Realtor.ca. Once in a while, there might be one, um, but they are more and more scarce all the time. And so naturally I need to have like my own funnel coming in with leads. So every week we kind of have five people or so five to 10 people that are looking to sell their property off market. And then over the course of the month, I'll kind of cherry pick the best opportunities. And those will be the ones that I will uh, put into the portfolio. So, you know, on market just refers to any properties that are sold on the MLS realtor.ca whereas off markets, all the other properties that are sold privately. Um, and I prefer to buy them privately because then I don't have to pay realtor commissions. Um, I don't have to pay like a wholesale fee as well if I buy it directly from the seller, which I prefer to do. And I can also have like a, a easier, easier dialogue for me to them versus like these mediators being into the realtors, the buying agent, the selling agent, um, in between me and the seller, it can just be me to them and we can uh, more easily create a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, buyers and sellers, uh, if they hire a real estate agent, then the real estate agents on the buyers and seller side will take probably five or more percent of the sale, which is a huge amount of money if you're buying a half million dollar house or a million dollar house. Yeah, no, it's a ton of money. And if you're buying five or 10 properties a year, you're talking hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So to learn how to use the three page agreement, I would argue is pretty important, you know? control the funnel, I would argue is pretty important because that's a lot of money left on the table. Yeah. And off market uh, opportunities, you know, I, I, I assume you're at a point now where people kind of start reaching out to you. Uh, I have a friend who's also, um, you know, he's a real estate uh, investor, landlord, people, he's got a website and he's, he puts out like, um, you know, he, he has vinyl on his car for his website and puts out like mail, um, flyers and that sort of thing. So he has a funnel that he generated that way for uh, off-market sellers, you know, usually people who with uh, places that need renos and that sort of thing. But um, what are the ways that, uh, you know, the different ways that you can create your own funnel? 
uh, for off-market opportunities? There's a few that are, are definitely well-known and easy to explain. And there's a few that are a bit more complicated, but can be even more effective because they're just less known because they are more complicated naturally. Um, the more well-known ones would be like you're kind of door knocking. So you can go knocking houses and speak to people that way to see if they want to sell. You can uh, do mass marketing. I call it guerrilla marketing. Where you're just mm -hmm. kind of sending out like 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 flyers and hoping that one person out of those 100,000 want to sell. Um, you can also do like Facebook ads. If, if you're kind of a, you know, a Facebook ad wizard, you could easily kind of pump through some, some SEO or um, some Facebook ads that way. You could have a website and make sure that your SEO is good and that you're ranking high or do Google ads. So, so some people do focus online, some do flyers, some do door knocking, some people do them all. Um, and then there's a few strategies that we kind of teach the students that um, are, are a bit more complicated. There's like 20, 25 steps to like do it all. And, um, you know, there's actually three main like lead generation methods that they'll be using that all kind of complement each other. And th so those are what really generate like the five to 10 high quality leads per week, um, which will inevitably like produce at least one or two, you know, excellent opportunities for them to put into their portfolio every month. That's super cool. Now, you know, since you're specialized in this kind of niche that you want to get really good at, that you want to master, uh, have you considered like other ways of serving people, whether it's a course or a cohort? Uh, right now, it sounds like you help people one-on-one. -on -one. Is there an advantage to that you find? No, I actually do um, do cohorts. Yeah, so that like basically at any point in time, um, you you can you can sign up if it makes sense. We can do a, we can do a call. I just want to make sure that you're a good fit for what we do here, and that's in alignment. And then if it is a good fit, then the next steps are ultimately to get you uh, all signed into the back end portal. That's where there's 50 hours of content and it's all pre-recorded lectures. So you're going to go through week by week and it's all kind of laid out in a, in, you know, the best kind of learning outcome order. And, and then you're going to have exercises and, and assignments to do after each, each separate module in each week. Um, so, so they do all of that. And then outside of that, we also do Q and a calls. So kind of like office hours as a professor where you're going to have like a, a call on Mondays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And those are an hour long. And so all the active students in the program um, can just come out anytime. So there's some calls will five, 10, 15 students that kind of show up and they just, it's an open forum. They can ask me questions and, and it's facilitated, of course, all kind of, they can put into the little Zoom chat there, like what their questions are and I'll answer them. And then they're all pre-recorded. Pre so if someone misses one, then uh, they can they can listen to them after. So it, it is a great community too. And we do kind of a, once a year, we do a holiday get together in Toronto. So if anyone's in Ontario or close by within driving distance and they want to come, come to the holiday dinner, then we do that as well with the group there. Um, yeah. So it's, it's pretty great. That's super cool. Yeah. It's, it's great to have uh, a system like that because one thing it facilitates is, you know, people helping each other out. So you have like one client, who's a little more advanced than maybe a newer uh, student, let's call them. And during these discussions, the Q and A's, you know, they can, they can also share their experiences as well. Have you seen that happen? I have, I certainly have. And, and, you know, we've, we've actually seen a lot of people partner as well um, above and beyond helping them actually become business partners. Mm. Because sometimes people, one person has money and they have the mortgage and then someone else is like, 
and, and, and but they don't have the time or whatever, or maybe the other person found a property that the person with the money in the mortgage really likes. And so they're like, well, naturally, like I have the money, I have the mortgage, you found the property and you want to do the property management and the renovation because you already have the renovation team set up. Let's just co-own this business. Let's do it together. And they split it 50-50. So once in a while, I kind of act as Cupid, I like to say, or the matchmaker. I can kind of partner people together and they, they will go on to co-own the, the property. So that was never the intention. I ended up being kind of a byproduct, though, of having a large group of people and uh, lots of people kind of contributing different resources. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. I mean, it, it's really turning into uh, more of a community now and, and the network effects of building a community. Uh, it can start to, uh, you know, change from you just, you know, you giving value to people to uh, you just setting up this environment where people give each other value and they just get the value from the situation that they're in. You know, they're around smart people, they've got content and that sort of thing. Exactly. That's super cool. So uh, what's next for you? What are you, uh, what are you looking towards in the near future? Um, yeah, like uh, career wise, I would say I, I really want to focus here in the next year to two years with Airbnbs. I, uh, I've done a few of them now and, and they're excellent. I, I really enjoyed it and you can renovate it then you furnish it then you list it. So it's a whole lot of fun. So we're partnering with people that want to buy Airbnbs right now. Mm. And, uh, and so that's kind of a, a new piece of the portfolio that I'm very excited about and will certainly be a main focus for the next year or two. Um, other than that, like I think I'm going to soon go full circle and actually get into that renewable energy business that I wanted to start at the very beginning of all oh. this that kind of led me on this path. So yeah, I think I'll be doing that in the future. So you're, you're looking to uh, fulfill that original um, goal of the geothermal energy. You know, it's, it's pretty, uh, like you said, it's pretty expensive and capital. The banks will treat me different this time around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, but it's a pretty cool technology. I actually took a course in geothermal back in university and um, it's, uh, it's very efficient if it's set up properly. Um, and also, you know, environmentally friendlier than, um, some other sources of energy. Yeah, the, the earth is already our, our regulator. You know, if you go six feet under, it, it's a pretty consistent temperature that can act as either the AC in the winter or, or AC, I guess it would be in the summer, wouldn't it? Yeah. So the air conditioner in the summer or the, um, or can heat your home as well in, uh, in the winter. So, you know, I don't understand why we would do anything else, to be honest. Mm. It would be, it's a pretty straightforward technique. Um, and, uh, and I think it works all across the world as far as I'm aware. Awesome. That's super interesting. I, I definitely want to see how that uh, plays out. Uh, you know, it's, you, you see the examples in Iceland, um, of geothermal really thriving there. And, um, it's pretty exciting to, to see that prospect over here as well. Oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think that's going to be the next five to 10 years, kind of five to 10 years out, um, is being able to get this loan. I've wanted to get now for the last couple of years and hopefully the banks will give me maybe a few of them, you know, you never know. Hmm. That's awesome. So is there anything you want to uh, kind of mention for the listeners, um, you know, as, as a takeaway or as just a way to get in touch with you? 
Yeah, I think if there's a takeaway, I know we've been chatting a lot about real estate investing naturally, but um, if there's any takeaway, like uh, I think it would certainly be just, you know, if, if you are interested in the topic, um, be patient, you know, it's going to take you a little while. Um, you can easily kind of condense that learning curve into maybe a few months if you're working with a coach or mentor to give you that rudder there, kind of in that shift analogy I was using. Um, but either way, you can still figure it out on your own. I did. It just took me two, two and a half years of, uh, of a lot of work. But um, yeah, yeah, if you are interested in kind of condensing that, that timeline, let me know. And, and I'd love to kind of accelerate your learning curve as well and, and help you get from zero to one. That's what I'm all about here. So from no properties to one. So yeah, you can reach out simply on Instagram or Facebook at Riley Local Investor. Or you can go to my website there. We have a coaching tab that you can click on on my, my personal website. It's at um, Riley Local. So just my first, my last name, uh, .com. And you can, you can go schedule a discovery call there right on the coaching tab. And uh, I'd love to connect with anyone that's interested in uh, going from zero to one. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Riley. And um, I, I, I learned a lot in this uh, almost an hour. And I'm sure the viewers will get, um, the, they'll get a lot from this, you know, the, the, the the perceptions of real estate, you know, from pretty much everyone I know is that, you know, you need to have all this money and it's, it's, uh, it's hard and it's concentrated in the GTA. And there's really like, there's no thought put into the things that we talked about, um, and the ways that you can get into it. Um, so it's really interesting and I'm sure a lot of people are in a position to get started. They just need the right information and the right guidance. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, at the same time, I, I had a blast as well. I had a lot of fun and hopefully they, they got a couple uh, tidbits out of this. And um, yeah, and, and again, feel free to reach out. I'd love to help. Thanks for listening. Visit excellentquestions.fm to listen to more episodes or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next month.